0: I'm so honored to have today's guest on the podcast. Our guest is Jerry West. Yes, Mr. Clutch himself. Jerry played on the LA Lakers for 14 years and is one of the highest scoring players of all time. He is also probably the most successful executive after his basketball career. Jerry opens up about his childhood and the struggles he encountered growing up, how he found basketball, and even his superstitions. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so stay tuned and find out how the Jerry West used his attitude and habits to achieve all of his successes. So uh, today's podcast is one for the books, in my opinion, and probably a lot of other people's opinions because we have Jerry West on. Uh, who really, really does represent the, the statement, the man, the myth, the legend, because you really do transcend that. You are someone who's had success and virtually, it seems like everything you've done. Um, and I think what you were saying, before we even started rolling was, that's not even like, you're not, you don't define yourself by basketball. That's just what people always wanna talk about. So I guess it's a good place to start. Like, who is Jerry West? And and what drives you, what drives him, you, to be so good in virtually everything that you touch?
1: Well, you know, that's a really interesting question, and I think it all started back in my childhood. Um, <clears throat> I think many times you grow up in an environment that's less than desirable. Um, things that you would want in a family uh, probably didn't exist in my family, and I think it changes uh, your perspective on things because at that point in time I was just trying to survive. My family was trying to survive. And I think the negativity you see in life as a child certainly scars you. Um, you can go two ways. You, know, you can either try to choose a path <clears throat> that's pleasing for you. Uh, more importantly, uh, to have these dreams that you don't dare tell anyone, because growing up in a small place, at that point in time, someone would laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only thing I, when I look back at my life, of any success I've had in my life, it was really because I was a dreamer when I was a little boy. Um, you know, I was a complete loner. Uh, none of the kids growing up in this little, small little community liked to do anything I liked. I loved the outdoors. I loved to go in the mountains by myself wondering what I was going to see. Um, every time I would go, <clears throat> I would always get up to the top of the mountain. And it's probably a lesson I've learned for life. Sometime you get up to the top of the mountain and you see the very same thing that you saw when you are climbing up the mountain. And a lot of people think by getting to the top of the mountain, um, climbing the top of peak, that that's re- very rewarding. Um, sometimes the view up there is not so good right and i think people have a real misconception of what's important in people's lives and what's been important to me in my life is that as i say i my dreams were um, something i was able to live you know i picked up a basketball when i was 10 9 10 years old and just out by myself picked it up and and you know propelling it up between your legs like when you're a little kid and you couldn't get it up there when strong enough all the baskets were, were, were 10 feet, but <clears throat> I know this sounds corny, very rarely did I play on a, a court that was anything other than, than dirt. And um, you know, if it'd be rainy or muddy, for some reason this allured this game, <clears throat> this crazy ball that I picked up, <clears throat> changed my life forever. And I was so glad that um, you know, I had people, and I'll never forget, probably one of the cruelest things I think I've ever heard, <clears throat> and particularly when I was young, I was like 11 years old and my next door neighbor and everyone ran through each one's lawn, um, to get home. And I, I never walked anywhere. We, ne- I ran, we never had a car, uh, <laughs> never went on a vacation, um, never had a bicycle until later in my life. And, um, uh, so I was, a I I was like Forrest Gump at an early age, to be wow. honest with you. And, um, uh, there wasn't anywhere I wouldn't run up the hills, down the hills. It was just this enormous energy that I had. But uh, these people I'm sitting there, and and they're our next-door neighbors, and here I am not bothering anyone. And one of the things that came out of their mouth was, oh, my God, what is Jerry ever going to do in his life that's worthwhile? I'm 10 years old, okay? When I heard that, it was, it, it hurt, okay? It hurt because I had to go home. I never knew what I was gonna face at home. Uh, I grew up in an abusive household, as my other siblings did. And I think that um, I learned a lot of lessons that day. <clears throat> never, never give up, okay, never. And I was determined that <clears throat> somewhere along the way, something positive was gonna happen in my life. And all of a sudden I picked up this basketball, as I mentioned before, and I had always, I was a dreamer, I could put myself in situation, had a very vivid imagination, and the thing that uh, was probably um, something that I've taken with me forever <clears throat> is that for some reason when people say no, I used to say yes, and it has served me well. But, the, uh, but from then on, I was, when I was picking up a basketball, I was a coach. I was the announcer first and foremost, but most importantly, I was the official.
0: Wow. And
1: so <clears throat> um, in my life, um, to feel good before I went home, I could miss 10 straight shots and I'd make the last one. I'd find a way to put a second back on the clock. Um, when I went home, you know, I'd conquered the world and going to my house, I never knew what was go- I was gonna face. But I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that experience the same thing when you're by yourself. Basketball, the rudiments of basketball can be learned by yourself. And this was before, way before, uh, we had all these instructional videos and going to camps, which I could have never gone to one because I couldn't afford to go. Um, But it was a pretty remarkable time in my life. And um, I did did all these things that were feel good thing. I used to love to fish. Some people fishing would be slow, hot summer day, Humid, you said there'd be roasting. Right. But I would always stay out there until I caught something. And it made any difference w- when I started. I wasn't going to quit. And um, it sounds it like you're
0: a very person, <coughs> pers- uh, you persevered and you had a mental toughness and a discipline to always just kind of keep on going no matter what. Even as a young, that, that was pretty much the, the through line in your personality. There's, no, que- There's
1: no question. The other thing, you know, to earn money because um, <clears throat> it, it was, this was a sparse household right. in, terms of earning, uh, in terms of money being around, I used to do all the jobs that no one wanted to do. And, I, you know, I hear people today say, well, it was minimum wage. I don't know what I was making for doing these things, but I cut everyone's lawn. i dig anyone's ditch. <clears throat> it was always going to be perfect. So consequently, any time that a neighbor had something to do, they'd ask me to do it because they know I'd do it. And I'd get paid sometimes a dollar and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's all the money in the world. And I used to take that money and, and there was a rug in our house, a little tiny place we lived in. And I would take this money and put it under the rug. Wow. And sometimes, you know, I'd forget about it. And my mother would be <laughs> taking a sweeper and going around and here she was, she did this lump in the thing, and here it might be 10 or $15 there that I had earned. And um, that's how I you know, bought a basketball, that's how I bought my, bought my fishing stuff. And then I started to get into hunting and there, weren't, there wasn't much around then to, to uh, hunt, but um, it was just, it was a unique childhood that unfortunately uh, I had to share with myself. No one knew what was wow. going on behind this crazy this crazy thought process that I had Head in my hand at a young age.
0: But do you feel that because you had a difficult childhood and you had abuse and all that stuff, that kind of also propelled you to want to succeed? Like it gave you that, um, that drive to kind of get out of there, that fear of failure that you'd still stay there if you didn't make it somewhere. So did that help you kind of push? You oh, just yes.
1: But uh, along the way, there's so many obstacles. I was really little. I was tiny and uh, real, uh, I, if a wind blew, it blew blow me away. I was so <laughs> skinny. <clears throat> but I think the thing that was really interesting to me and, and maybe the first time I'd ever felt incredible rejection for trying to be an athlete. Um, <clears throat> I was always really fast. But you no ran one could. No one could catch me, <laughs> and um, so that was a strength. I could run and jump even a little age. Um, but I remember the first time I tried out for the basketball team. I was in the seventh grade, and I was so tiny and so almost intimidated by anyone who was in command. Um, I was brought up, and still very much today, I'm a yes or no, sir, thank you, please person. Um, And it wasn't until I got to be in the ninth grade that I had a chance to play on my junior high school team. And I was looking the other day, I don't know why, I saw this old picture of me and in this uniform. And I said to myself, oh, my God, what happened here? Okay, all these skinny little kids look like waifs. um, Trying to do something that made you feel good. And even then, I had no clue that I would ever be good enough. I was just, I was just uh, somebody who loved to compete and play. <clears throat> so my life changed um, that summer, my summer of my um, ninth and going into high school, tenth grade. Uh, I grew about six inches one summer, and oh my, that's it a was lot. like, but I didn't gain any weight. I looked like a I looked weight. like Ichabod <laughs> Crane. I was so skinny, <laughs> and. Um, uh, but, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I grew so fast. We had a, this set of stairs in this little house we lived in. I would run up them and fall down, run down them and fall down. So <clears throat> it was pretty, uh, it was pretty funny to all of a sudden I grew and I was happy about it. But <clears throat> not to be able to, you know, you had no balance. You had nothing. Right. It was like everything happened overnight. <clears throat> but. I think one of the interesting things was is that all of a sudden, because I got taller, you know, I felt I felt like I belonged in the real world. And um, then when I got to high, that year I got to high school, I was like 6'3", 148 pounds. And, and I played wow. on the junior varsity team and um, um, we played all the same schools that our high school teams played. And obviously I wasn't good enough then to play on the varsity team, but something happened. I started playing real well in these in these games, uh, these JV games, and the coach decided to promote me up to the varsity. and if, And the, the the two coaches, the head coach and the assistant coach, they were both football coaches, and so really. <clears throat> um, they bring me up there, and the first game I played in, I scored 14 points in the last quarter of a high school game against one of our rivals and we won the game. Really? And I wanted to play one more game that was another rivalry of ours, Charleston High School, okay, the big Charleston High School in the state capital, And I go down there, and I broke the navicular, not the navicular bone, but the metatarsal bone. Oh. And so they put me in a cast, and so my... Whatever left of my varsity career was done, and the doctor—it was a walking cast—and the doctor says, "Well, you know, what should you do?" And he—I said, "Well," he said, "He said you do pretty much—you can't break these things, okay?" Well, I broke seven of them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, the funny part of it was, <clears throat> I would still play basketball with this, with this cast on. And uh, there was really some funny things. Oh my gosh, you you know, you played on baskets that were, you know, not stationary. And I remember one day I was playing and some guy, I was shooting a shot. And like, I remember the character Peg Leg Bates, okay, long ago. (coughs) He's the dancer. And I got hit on this thing and it knocks me out in the hall. And the school principal was there. I almost hit him when I went out the door. And that was kind of a, you know, one of the funny things that can happen with that, but it fortunately healed without any other, any other pro- problems. And then my junior year, again, I just, I'd just gotten better. And, you uh, I'd learned to shoot myself and, and always was a pretty good shooter, but I got to the point where I was much more confident and um, still had not lost my ability to run and jump. And uh, so by the time I got to be a senior in high school, <clears throat> oh, by the way, in a junior in high school, I'd average about 28 points a game. I had not one college offer and playing in the best best competition in the state. And then, by the time I was a senior, um, we won the state championship and played at West Virginia University, where, of course, we recruited to and went to school. I wanted to go to my state university, and. Um, I'll never forget that those days in the state tournament. I said all the state scoring records, all the rebounding records, <clears throat> and I fouled out of both games with a lot of time in one game. Oh my. And I often wondered, I think I scored 40 points and had about 20 rebounds. Uh, and again, this is years ago, but, right. uh, but I didn't play hard the whole last quarter. I fouled out, but uh, we'd had a big lead and we won the state championship, which wasn't expected. And all of a sudden, these offers started coming in. Uh, uh, there's some incredible stories about the recruiting process. And frankly, I couldn't take it anymore. I went home one day and there was four coaches from four big universities sitting in this little chair outside of my uh, house on a little tiny porch. <clears throat> my mother was over there drinking co- coffee and it hot and humid. And she said to all four of these guys, and again, I was really quiet and shy. Uh, She said, all these four guys, she said, you know, I don't really care where he goes, but I want him to go to West Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, obviously she was swayed by that, but um, it was probably the best choice I could have made with all the crazy offers I got. And obviously at that point in time, people were pretty... uh, loose in their recruiting. Right. Uh, what was
0: it like back then? Like, What kind of offers would you be getting back then versus how it is now? There must be a huge discrepancy.
1: Well, for me then, it was, <clears throat> I don't really want to get into it because it doesn't make any difference, but uh, my father didn't make a lot of money, but I could have got. I gotten paid about three times what he got paid to go to school
2: mm-hmm.
1: by a number of schools. And it's something I always, I've always been reticent to talk about because, <clears throat> you know, it really wasn't, there wasn't a lot of governance on athletes going to school, but it was flattering to me. <clears throat> but uh, I didn't get one thing for going to West Virginia University, but it's the best decision I made in my life.
0: Wow! And why do you? What would you? Why do you say that? Do you think that was the moment that was like a tra- uh, that changed a trajectory in your life beyond when you were 10 years old and when someone said to you, "What are you ever going to make of yourself?" Do you think this was another one of those moments?
1: You know, I'm pretty loyal. Okay, and always have been, and um, it was just, I'd gone up there one time when I was a kid with my brother-in-law at that point in time. he—he uh, since deceased, obviously. And they took me to a game up there, and I just, the f- fun, the excitement in this little gym that was about 6,400 people, jam-packed, <clears throat> and I couldn't sleep after the game. And I said, that, that's pretty exciting, but I wasn't thinking about playing at West Virginia University at 12 years of age. But um, it's the best decision I've ever made. I love the state of West Virginia. <clears throat> I love the, um, uh, how people are back there. It's, it really is probably the foundation of who I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget where I came from. The state is important to me. The university is particularly important to me and it's frankly been the charity of my choice. And um, I will never uh, shirk that responsibility, because again, the foundation of my life, what I learned there, the people, uh, they don't have a lot, um, and particularly today, as the coal industry has faded out and not as viable, um, it's a state that needs a reawakening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they have a workforce there, hardworking people, and the thing they know is hard work, Right. and it's not there anymore. So. Uh, I have a home in West Virginia, um, I usually spend three months there, and <clears throat> this year I can't do it because I have a son's going to get married uh, on August the 10th.
0: Congratulations, I saw that. <coughs> Congratulations. Well,
1: he's a nice young man and she's a nice young lady, so <laughs> I'm hopeful that this will be a... Um,
0: he's engaged, your son, um, he works with the Golden State Warriors, correct, and he's marrying... His name Wee- Johnny, Johnny, Johnny
1: West, and he's marrying, he and Michelle Wee, mm-hmm professional golfer <clears throat> and uh, It looks pretty like a pretty impressive match. They you can just feel feel the the closeness they have and, and uh, somebody always says soulmates uh, I've had I've had a couple people in my life and, and uh, that have been my soulmates and uh, and uh, you just there's something special about those people that you don't, right. you don't don't ever forget.
0: Doesn't happen very often, but no, it doesn't. 100%. So, um, I, I was going to ask you a question a little bit earlier about your opinion. Do you believe that raw talent or mindset is more important when becoming great at anything? Just basketball. I know you. You seem to have a very strong discipline and competitive nature. But how much of that was also talent, or did you? was it more the mindset of your drive and your wanting to be the best and...
1: Well, I would say that there's, there's a couple of things. You know, s- Some people are born <clears throat> differently. Their their minds are organized differently. And particularly athletes. And the one thing that if I was going to ever pat myself on the back, that I've always been competitive no matter what mm-hmm. that has been, um, no losing is not in my vocabulary, and I've learned how to lose, but I still don't like it. (laughs) Um, And I think just raised how I was raised. It taught taught me the significance of how how important it was to compete at a high level. Um, You know, a a lot of players at that point in time, I hardly ever went out of my room um, when I played. Uh, It was all basketball. And um, I think the thing that mattered most was after games, I was really hard on myself. And when I got to the point in my career when I felt I could affect the outcome of games, and there was a number of years I could affect the outcome of the game, if we lost, I would go back to my room, and I would kill myself in criticism. Not a healthy thing to mm-hmm. do. And in, I know that. And yeah. it's um, it's a curse to live with. But that's how I was raised. I'm not raised, but that's how I, my mindset was. <clears throat> and getting to a um, and getting to a different level, I thought that was one thing that was very important. But once you get to where you physically mature, <clears throat> and when I came into the NBA, I weighed 172 pounds, 172 pounds, and I was six four and a half. Everyone used to say wow. I was six two and a half, and I had 40 inch sleeve length, so that makes you a lot bigger. Yeah, um, and. Um, it's just something that, as I competed against certain players, I started to get to the point where you know they didn't concern me, and I don't mean mean that in a disrespectful no, manner. No, I know what you mean. They, uh, I just felt that I had an edge, and not only physically but competitively. Yeah,
0: mentally, mentally. Well,
1: absolutely. Um, in my mind, as I say, my mind, I don't forget what players do. I can go back over the years and talk about players and their strengths and weaknesses. And my mind was like an encyclopedia. So, you know, even for the games it, you don't have the same kind of preparation you do. The games were, you know, you might play three, sometimes four nights in a row in Mm -hmm. different cities. That's hard to do. It's hard on your body. But as you go along and the more experience you have, you don't have to worry about what someone will tell you about what this player is gonna do. Um, You have it in your mind. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, when I look at my life, while maybe it would have been simpler for me to play the game, um, I've always said, said that one thing that determines players who stand out in every era would be the people who see the game in slow motion. If you're going fast all the time, it's too fast.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That allows these people that truly are above the others, mm-hmm. regardless of what people... You know, we we throw the term superstar around so loosely today that it, does, it doesn't, I don't think it's so. There might be four I or agree. five in any given time. Who
0: would you With say the top five <coughs> superstars are, like true superstars?
1: You know, I would never go there because I would slight some people along the way. Um, they're just players I've had respect for in all generations, you know, starting from 60s to 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, 2020, Coming um, every period, you see a different in, difference in the players, and we're starting to see uh, really very gifted players at an early age. They have been so schooled in terms of AU camps, mm-hmm. camps where that are skill camps, and the ones who identify themselves obviously are going to get the most attention. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I see the ones who get the most attention, you watch them go to college, and some. A lot of them hit that wall. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they can't be, get beyond that wall, and that's why they get into the NBA, as great as they were, and going up, and all the accolades they receive going up. <clears throat> they hit that wall, and they can't break through it. Is there it,
0: one quality that you look for when you? Could you have such a great eye, obviously, for talent? They would say probably the best ever of all time. Is there? It's obviously a gut instinct that you feel it, but is there something that you're specifically looking for? Is it?
1: Well, people always talk about basketball IQ. (coughs) Unfortunately, we have, I don't say unfortunately, part of the game today is the fact that we have so many analytical people Mm -hmm. involved in the league. And many times they sway people into thinking that or presenting facts that this guy is truly better than someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not a big fan of analytics, and let me tell you why. Uh, they, they. Uh, I think they're great teaching tools. Mm-hmm. I think they're great for coaches. Uh, as, as this guy likes to go left 90% of the time. If a guy is good enough and he's really a star, he might go left 90% of the time. You're still not going to stop him. He's going to find a way to get over mm-hmm. there. But they are so versatile that they're, they're going to get to the other side too. But I think the one thing you can't look at, you can't look at a heart, you can't look at a mind. Um, I think there's a lot of mistakes made, um, and there have been for years, um, in people overestimating drafting for need. Uh, To me, it's about skill and a person's desire to compete and excel.
0: Right, so it's about their mindset, about their competi- how <coughs> their mental toughness again, and how competitive they are, how driven they are to be, to be the best. I guess right. right. Um, would you say you were more competitive in your while you are playing basketball or as a, an executive now?
1: Well, certainly, like in your as, as as game, a, certainly life? as a player, um, it's a different kind of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not only playing for your team. You're playing for the city, and you're playing for the fans. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how players think today, but that was I felt that was a great sense of responsibility to try to win for your fans. Um, you know, you see the free agency today. As I say, I've always been a pretty loyal person in my life. Um, Good quality. I would have loved to have had an opportunity to be a free agent to see if I could be tempted to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And someone would not be able to re, you know, try to um, influence mm-hmm. my thinking if I were going to be a free agent by a presentation showing me you know, the city you live in, the glamour, um, all the other opportunities. It was strictly about basketball to me, strictly. And today, because of the enormous amount of money, the agents and the game the way it's played today have been the most significant change in basketball that i have seen in all my what <laughs> 50 50 some years in this game the agents they dictate where players go um i feel sorry from some of the small market team right uh, but i don't know how you level the playing field i really don't right but it's okay for people to seek uh, and I'm not critical of players at all. If you want to go somewhere else, you go. <clears throat> and there's one time in my career, I definitely did not want to play for the Lakers because an owner told me a lie. Really? Oh yes. What oh, happened? Yes. Well, it doesn't matter what happens. Just don't lie to me. Say yes or no. That's the most important thing. Right.
0: Oh wow.
1: And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to leave so badly, uh, but yet I didn't have the opportunity. But I would have left. It might have been a mistake but I would have left. Um, city I love playing for, the fans, um, watching the game grow, um, being involved, only team in the West coach. And look at the first team, the Lakers today. Look at what's happened to this franchise since they've been in the city. The first team here. I'll never forget when, when I got here, hell, no one even knew what basketball was then. It was about <laughs> baseball and football. That's true. Um, I'll never forget the first two games we played here in the old sports arena. There was a counter over the thing. And so first night there, I think it was like 4,820. The next night, it was like 4,200. And to get there and playing, and I was used to playing in sellout crowds everywhere I went to college. Right, right. <coughs> and the, the atmosphere. We happened to be playing the New York Knicks back-to-back game and you know, well, certainly we wanted to win, but I almost felt that there were 4,800 transplanted New Yorkers there rooting for the Knicks. Right, right, right. <coughs> and um, to see the way the franchise has grown and, and to see if what's happened to the Lakers here, those was obviously the most special years of my life. To be able to play there, be able to coach there for three years and have an opportunity to work with an incredible owner, Jerry Buss, was really pretty special uh, you know, he believed in me. He trusted in me, and we had such a different relationship uh, for someone who's working for someone. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, he he was a good guy. He was a man of the people, and uh, so my years there were filled with a lot of fun, excitement. Saw an awful lot of winning, right? And I saw this city become a Lakers city, not a Dodgers city, not a Rams city. They eventually left town. And uh, at one time Toronto? I can remember the dominant, we were on the last page of three newspapers in town. Now all of a sudden we have one daily newspaper, the Los Angeles Times and other uh, uh, newspapers in smaller areas that don't have the same cir- circulation they used to have. And, um, and all of a sudden I can remember the Herald Examiner and you saw the Lakers creeping up from the last page to the second phase, and all of a sudden, the most dominant team in the town, and that was a great thing for me to see and witness.
0: I can imagine that's kind of like when i'm like I was telling you I'm Canadian, and my first job was with the Raptors, and it was the same thing because it was the first year it was an expansion team, and Toronto's also about hockey and baseball, and it was the same thing and slowly but surely, you know the Raptors well now. I mean, I, was gonna even, I didn't want to even start asking you, of course, about the obvious current affair of you know, the coup that you were able to accomplish with, um, well, you know, of course, um, what's going on with the Clippers, because uh, I figured it's all over the place anyway. And, but but um, that was a quite an amazing thing that you accomplished.
1: Well, it wasn't me, and it's never one person. It's never
0: one person, but no, you were still a part um, of it.
1: You know, to be part of it was really fun. I work from incredible people now. I mean, really incredible. As good as any front office I've ever seen in this league, an impeccable owner in Steve Ballmer. And, you know, I don't know if I'll get fined for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If, <laughs> I were, if I were a young player and I e- was ever be to, able to get involved with Steve Ballmer at this point in time, <clears throat> this would I'd have to listen to him. He's a pretty amazing man for the enormous success he's had, and everyone always talks about his wealth. Um, he's, he's like Jerry Buss. Really? He's like Jerry Buss. He's a people person. Jerry was more conservative, but this one is more enthusiastic. But if you're with him and his wife, it's just amazing how, how grounded they are. It really is pretty grounded. I
0: love hearing that because exactly <coughs> what you said. From what my perception is, he's Steve Ballmer. He's he's known to being one of the wealthiest men in the country, and what do you, you know. And then when you say he's also down to earth and seems very normal, it's that's a that's a that's a good big compliment to give somebody.
1: Well, he's he's great. He really is. I, I you know I don't like to go overboard on people because. Uh, I've said it a number of times about him, but his philanthropy is beyond belief. Really? And he keeps it quiet. And he and his wife uh, together, I don't even know what they do in terms of giving, wow. but he's just one of those people... He's like your next door neighbor. Right, you never I know I don't it. know if we get to know our next door neighbors anymore. But.
0: <laughs> You're probably right. Not very often. That's very true. Right. But it's nice to know because I feel like that actually means it's very authentic and genuine. Like, he's not doing it for brag it to, to to brag or to look at me, but it's more coming from the right place, which is his heart. And like I said, when you have that kind of wealth and that kind of success, you know, you tend to not really know the person. So to hear that, that to hear that he's so kind and authentic and genuine and generous is, I think it's a good well boss as have. I say
1: he, he would be If you were in a meeting with him and, and around him to see how he acts with people how he treats people um, <clears throat> He's he's pretty amazing and um, As I say, I'm fortunate enough to be now here with him. This is my third year obviously I'm getting to the end of my time as uh, involved in this sport I've been around a lot But as I say, I I think your final resting place sometimes, I've been three other teams in Memphis with the late Mike Heisley, who was an incredible guy himself, very philanthropic himself. And with the Warriors, a unique ownership group up there to see the success they've had and the friends I've made up here. um, And to be involved with this group I am today, the, the Clippers. The front office they have, as I mentioned before, oh my goodness, hired the best of the best. Um, It doesn't make any difference. Steve will will leave no stone unturned in order to uh, have the best of the best, care of the players, treatment of the players uh, is paramount in his mind. And when he gets this arena built, it will be the best arena in town.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. It will be
1: the best arena in the league. He is, as I say, he's a man of vision. And the thing that I love about him is the fact he is competitive.
2: Right.
1: I mean, really competitive. Where other people, you know, does he take an active part? Very, Very much so. Does he tell us who to draft? No. But there's such interaction. We have meetings over there. I don't know what teams in the league would do this. We have meetings over there that are all the basketball people. A lot of them are former coaches or scouts and and people who contribute. We might have 20 20 people, 25 people in a room, discussing players, discussing, you know, how can we get to this point in time? Would we be able to move here to get this player? Um, The openness of this organization is amazing. It's not a closed shop. And when you get in environments like that, those are really healthy, Mm -hmm. really healthy. And, again, I don't want to – say that there's other organizations not like that because they're more closed. You know, everyone's afraid of we- leaks. Well, the leaks many times come from the same people who want to close shop. Right. Um, I've often, uh, you know, you look at a very popular figure in this league who reports stuff, Adrian Wojnowski. um, He has stories come out before, before they're even out there. And how does he get it? He maintains a great relationship with uh, agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, he maintains a great re- relationship with um, GMs. And uh, so if you're going to tell people to press those things, why not, why, why not, why, ex- why exclude people in the front office? Right. Okay?
0: That's absolutely true.
1: Why exclude them? But um, I have fun with our guys. It's not ego driven. It's, oh my gosh. The kidding and ribbing that I get, which I love, um, I don't like anyone to be benevolent to me. Period. Right. I don't want them to be. It's uncomfortable for me, and I don't want anyone to think I'm any better than anyone. I'm not. I want to be around people that want to have fun, and don't take themselves too seriously, but take what they do seriously.
0: Yeah, that's actually a, that's also a great life lesson as well, right? Like everything you're saying, I think it doesn't just apply to basketball, it applies to everything in life and the traits, the qualities, it doesn't matter what, what, what industry you're in. Hey, hope you're enjoying this episode. We just want to take a quick break to tell you about an awesome sponsor. We'll be back to habits and hustle in just a moment. In this subscription based world we live in care is one of the companies that I can really get behind. They deliver vitamins and supplements customized to your specific health needs. With Summer here, make health and wellness a priority again. Care-of makes it easy to upgrade your health routine. They have a fun online quiz that asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. It was super easy to do, and I love when anything is customized for my own needs. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. They make sure that what you are putting into your body comes from the best sources backed by honest guidance and transparency, all available to you on their website. For 25% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Habits & Hustle. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter Habits & Hustle. And now back to that Habits & Hustle action. But one thing I found interesting, I read that you're very superstitious, yes. and since this, po- you know, this podcast is all about people's habits and rituals to be super successful, um, what are your superstitions? What were they back then? Are they sa- the same? Did they well, evolve? It,
1: <clears throat> I'll give you one. It's, it's really stupid. Okay. Before a game, I used to chew two sticks of gum, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'd tear them in half. And I'd put two halves over here, and I'd have one whole thing. It was like a, you know, it's like a um, <clears throat> stress reliever, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would come in at halftime. I'd do the same thing, get mm-hmm. a fresh one, put them up there. I always ran out third. Always. I would kill to get out run out third.
0: Really? So where when you say you put them over there, where are you putting them? Are they like, are you sticking them somewhere? No,
1: they put them up in the top. We had a little shelf Oh, a little there.
0: shelf. Okay. At so the end
1: doing... of the year, at the end of the year, there was a big pile of half sticks of gum up there.
0: Really? That's a cute one. Do you have yeah. what, can you give us one more? I'm sorry? Give me one more superstition.
1: Oh, yeah. I used to drive the same way to the game every day. And here in Los Angeles, because of the traffic, right? there would be a 50-car wreck I wouldn't get off. I wouldn't get off. You would just
0: stay on that right. I no was going to stay
1: there. Uh, I don't say it's a superstition, but my eating habits were really different. When I first started, everyone used to have like a steak and a salad, right? Right. As I went on, I couldn't eat anything. I wouldn't physically get sick. And so I used to eat at like 1 o'clock. Right. And I'd have the same thing every day. I'd have a turkey sandwich.
0: Right.
1: Um... And I would have um, water, and a half a scoop, uh, uh, half a scoop of vanilla ice cream. That was my pregame meal.
0: Really, not a full scoop. Always a half a scoop. Right. Is that, is that part, uh-huh, that was right. part of the super. It had to be done. now.
1: again, I could eat anything then and never gain right. weight. But um, and obviously, as you get older, for some reason, <laughs> um, you don't want to eat as much. And um, with me, I went. I, that was one of the things I was. If I didn't do the same thing, I took a nap every afternoon. Uh, I would tape around the curtains if there was a peak of light coming through. Really? I would carry tape with me on the road from the trainer so I could tape my windows up so I could take a nap. And uh, one time I will never forget one of the funniest things that ever happened. We had a a Friday night game in Los Angeles. Uh And we had a first game of a doubleheader in New York the next night. That's when they used to have doubleheaders. Right,
0: doubleheaders, yeah.
1: So we flew there. We get there. By the time we got the hotel, was the traffic in New York it was like maybe a quarter to seven. And I get in the hotel room. I tape my windows up. And I was really tired because I couldn't sleep after games anyway. I never slept on a plane. So I'd been up all night. And finally went to sleep. And all of a sudden, I hear all this barking, 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 barking. So I called down to the manager and I said, you know, I said, there's a dog barking next door. And I was, again, always very polite. And I said, is there any way that someone could just go check? And this, this gentleman said to me, he said, well, I'm sorry, we're having the Westminster dog show and they're all staying here at the hotel.
0: Oh, my God. It wasn't fun. I can imagine that would it probably not be fun. very fun at all. But the
1: worst part, we played the next day in, in Boston, an afternoon game. In Boston,
0: right? Oh so, gosh.
1: Um, anyway, it so wasn't fun. To, it wasn't fun traveling that way.
0: That was not at all. Wow. So then, are yours? Do you? What are some superstitions? Or uh, how about this? What are some habits that you do now? Are they, like, you still have similar ones? You still have a? Well, I guess you're not. Well, you're not playing, so you can't have that turkey sandwich or the or the stick. Oh to well,
1: no. I I have very similar habits. Okay, I do. I, I, to me, when I go to a game now. I look at it from a different perspective. Okay, I try to be, I try to be a scout, mm-hmm. particularly with younger players. Right. Are they getting better? Um, does our coach need another player? Uh, I think one of the things that, that was important to me when when I was involved in making decisions for a team, um, I have a voice today, mm-hmm. and I do really express my opinions. They're important to me if I'm going to be working for someone. And one of the things that, that I've always felt that when you go to the game, you watch these young kids and some of them coming out so young today, they lose their confidence very quickly. But more importantly, you know, sometimes you see mistakes they make over and over and you point them out to our, you know, I do to our, uh, to Lawrence Frank, who's our president and GM. And um, I point them out to him, and so to me, to get to the point where you're um, communicating things that you see that maybe will help this kid get better, mm-hmm. so you're going to need someone to work with him. Mm-hmm. You need to get better at this. You need to get better at this. You need to be more alert here. Um, a stupid thing like the sideline. How many guys at a do you see guys step out of bounds? Mm-hmm. Normally it's the same person all the time, so it's about footwork.
0: Wow. Even with veterans. on those small cues.
1: Even good. with veterans, okay? And on these corner threes, there's not a lot of room down there. So your footwork has to be impeccable. Uh, another thing, um, you know, watching the ball. You know, you have to be alert. Your head has to be on a swivel. But I think the thing that I most enjoyed when I was being involved with the team was going to coaches and say, is there a particular player you'd like to have? Maybe we could try to acquire him for you. Um, and you'd be surprised um, how many times at, and communicating with other people and, and obviously the general managers were the ones you communicated with then. But now you have agents calling, I think you should call him about this player. I just, You can't do that. That's not the way this league works. Mm-hmm. You should communicate with the executives who are running these teams, but unfortunately um, the landscape has really changed. Right, it sounds really like
0: it, but it seems like you still keep it old, like old school, like you still are doing it the way it used to be done more, and it's succeeding. you're succeeding.
1: Well, the kids have so many different people training them. My goodness, they have their own trainers. They come to training camp with their own trainers, and they seem to have confidence in them. But you add a lot more people, and sometimes when you add a lot more people, right. you have people on the staff, maybe that's their specialty. And do they feel slighted? Um, I don't know that answer to that question, but I think with the players today, the power that the players have today, and I think, uh, you know, uh, who was it that said this is talent-driven league. Unfortunately, the talent in all leagues is what makes leagues go. I right, mean, right, right. You know what's this person saying when he says that? Uh, I think it was Mark Cuban. Right, is that what he um, said? Oh. But um, it's it's always a talent-driven league, and uh, the players today are, you know, they're my goodness, they're getting more bouncy. They have a lot more craftiness to their game. They have they have some zigzag in it, which makes them better. This game is the second largest game in the world today behind soccer. Yeah,
0: behind soccer, right. And I
1: do not think it's gonna stop growing. Yeah. I think it's gonna become they're playing basketball in India, whoever thought that. At one time when Yao Ming was playing in his league, there were seven, I think it was a hundred young Chinese kids that were seven feet tall or more. Who are playing basketball? What was the impetus for that? Right, Yao Ming.
0: Right, exactly. Yao Ming.
1: Uh, they play basketball in the Philippines. They love basketball, and they have professional leagues. Australia is producing some good players, and certainly Europe is a fertile place for Very. many NBA players today. So it's becoming a worldwide game. Uh, the, the NBA has done a great job in Africa because, you know, we need. If you look at the players today, with long, rangy players. Mm-hmm um they come there's so many big kids in the Ukraine area over there I mean they're huge and in South and in and, and, uh, South um, uh, in Africa today these kids are really tall right but they're uh, the NBA has gotten so involved and some of the African players who played very successfully in this league have gone about their way to try to contribute back to their countries that's a good thing well it's it's a great thing yeah
0: it's a great thing I mean, I mean, that's it's
1: opportunity in life is the most important and it's not always about athletics. Okay,
0: right. People, people need
1: people. We have so many displaced kids today and they might have completely different interests. And it's great for me to see people get involved who are influential, who can uh, provide resources for these kids to have a chance to live their dreams very much like myself. And tons of NBA players, tons of other athletes in all sports.
0: Absolutely, it's really important to pay, to pay it forward and give it back to your community to give other people the opportunity. Because a lot of it is opportunity. A lot of people can be very talented and have all the other, you know, characteristics, but they don't give if they're not given that opportunity. It's it's kind of it yes. goes unnoticed.
1: Well, as I say, we have, you know, we have so much money in in a lot of few hands. If if those people would. Um, be a little bit more disciplined, I think, in where they judicially give their money. Um, I'd like to give, see them, again, I'm not preaching to people, but right, I'd like to opinion. see these people who have enormous wealth get involved in youth today in right. this country.
0: And participate, right?
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah. It's probably the best feeling in the world to do something, give something to young kids. Yeah. They never forget it. They never forget it.
0: Absolutely, and that's what makes the world go around, right? You, if you're if you're given that opportunity and have the ability, I always think it's if you have the ability to help somebody, why wouldn't you help somebody? Well, you should. Right. Absolutely. Life yeah. is about getting. A hundred percent. That's and you get and you get when you give, right? That's what yes. that's the other saying. So, what's a day in the life now? So, I, of course, we know what the Clippers and what you do, but what time do you wake up in the morning? Like, what's your like? Do you work out? Do you exercise? You must. You still you probably don't run like Forrest Gump anymore, but maybe close. Well,
1: you know, I try I try to work out um, uh, when I have the time, but you know, being here today <laughs> <laughs> cuts one day out, so I'm gonna
0: I know I'm and gonna
1: extract a pound of flesh, cut one of your fingers yeah. off. <laughs> but no, I try to do that, and uh, and when I when I'm traveling, and sometimes it's it's not personal, it's not right. for me. Um, you find you find it's difficult to, to keep doing those things. And I have my own gym at home. I, you know, I stretch, I, um, I uh, lift weights, I tr- get on the treadmill. Uh, when I'm in town a lot, I have a young lady who comes and stretches me. I try to be disciplined in what I eat. Um, I'm not much of a dissipator. I used to like, I like wine very much, but I've even cut way, cut way back on that. But uh, the thing that probably I love to do most is read. Um, I've learned so much from reading about leaders and about giving um, stories of people. People should go back and look at the days in the South when we had slavery. Um, People should study some of the leaders back there. It's pretty remarkable what these people have done for a cause. Mm -hmm. And the players, frankly, that I most admired when I was playing, are the ones that would take a stand. And today's players have an incredible platform.
0: Right. Incredible. Oh, my, with social media and everything else now.
1: Incredible platform. And um, I wish there were more that would, because of the enormity of their popularity
0: mm-hmm.
1: and their wealth today, that's Absolutely. the best to feel good. Forget all their careers, okay? If you're good at something, you don't have to tell anyone you're good. Right. You don't have to tell anyone. But the thing that will, you know, their their image as a player, their records will live forever, mm-hmm. but the greatest impact in the world they can make are helping others.
0: Absolutely. Is there is there one book that you recommend to people to read that you would...
1: Oh, my gosh. There's so many. I read probably three books a week.
0: Wow. Okay. What are you reading right now? What are the three books that you're I
1: Got through reading a uh, a book on uh, Malcolm X, it was fascinating. Uh, just got through reading a book on George Washington and during the during the war, mm. in the nineteen what seventy nine fifty nine uh, plot to kill him by his own soldiers. Mm. Um, I just got through watching a documentary on Martin Luther King. It was pretty stirring. Um, I read things that sometimes when I travel I might read a mystery book, but I try to read things that, um, that are meaningful to me, leaders right why they were great leaders. Um, and some of them have commonalities and they're different. And you know people we see players okay uh, that are out there jumping around, oh look at this leadership ability. Trust me. There's many more quiet ones <clears throat> that um, um, are better leaders and tougher-minded, and those guys are constantly calling attention to oh, themselves. Oh,
0: absolutely. I, I actually, agree with what you say. If you're good, people will notice. You don't have to tell everyone. Yes. Yeah. But uh, that's not really the the society we live in, right? Where people feel they...
1: Well, as I say, society is changing all the time. Yeah, constantly. It's changing all the time. But but I think there's lessons to be learned regardless of what area you have grown up in your life. Listen, as I told you before, I've seen time when there's, you know, no phones in the house, no TV in the house, no air conditioning. And I see Mm -hmm. all the amenities that people have today. Mm -hmm. With all the smart people in the world... I wonder if artificial intelligence is not going to run this world. Right. And it's a scary. It's a scary thought.
0: Absolutely. And it, that's that's the trajectory. That's what's happening. That's the wave of what's going on. It gets to be that way more and more.
1: Why would Albert Einstein say years ago, he's concerned about artificial intelligence? Years ago. Right. Pretty amazing.
0: Isn't that? Isn't that kind of? It's kind of scary. I mean, are we doing? How are we doing? No, for we're time? okay. Are you uh, okay? Yeah,
1: we got about. Five more minutes.
0: Okay, because I, I I want to be respectful of your time. Um, okay, so what else is it? I was going to Albert Einstein. Yes. Um, oh yeah, I also saw that you're a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yes. Yes, yeah. I like him too. Another fellow Canadian, by the way.
1: Oh, I know that. Yep. He's uh, he's different. He's very different. The Blink, the the one book Blink in particular was really good because I'm kind of a Blink person. Um, it seems like to me, I can make quick decisions. Are they always right? No, but they are more nearly right because I trust my own personal judgment. Right. But again, uh, the more you read, the more you study people, the more you uh, experience and exposure you've had to people of all shapes, all kinds, all nationalities, Right. you can learn from a lot of people. And the one thing that I know is that <clears throat> I have learned more from people who have been or just the average person, and I've learned from people who are supposed to be leaders, and some people are are leaders by definition only.
0: Absolutely true. What would you say then, considering that you're considered to be a leader and and, and an icon, what would you say you are best and most proud accomplishment is of everything. It doesn't have to be professional, it could be anything.
1: I think the balance I have in my life with myself, because if you're not careful, you'll get overwhelmed with, uh, when as a player, rarely did, you, did I get criticized. It was hard to criticize me um, because I played the game at a level that, that during my period of time that was really high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a, a great late game player. Um, but I'm really not sure. I think the one thing is that I'm pretty balanced. I don't like publicity at all. A lot of people would say that's not true. I get embarrassed by it. Um, and it gets to the point sometimes you just, all the praise you get for certain things. Other people have contributed more to me than a lot of things have been, that I've been involved with, and yet I end up getting the credit. I have written letters of apology to people I've written what work for, for really? the fact that I get so much credit and they don't get enough.
0: Wow. That's very unusual to feel that. I mean, Where do you think that comes from, though? Do you think that's from your childhood? Feeling? Because I'm honest.
1: People don't want you to be honest. That's, that's true. There's a lot of times I'd really like to be, I'd always thought I'd like to write a, the final chapter in my life, okay? Wouldn't do it, because I'm too honest to write things that I see that I just wish people would do a little more more differently. Respect the people that you work with, okay? Respect them. There's some people that I don't care for, but I don't hate them, period. I would never, I don't hate people, period. Um, the way they treat people, the disrespect sometimes you see, um, people who work in this league, everyone wants to win. I hope everyone wins. Mm -hmm. I hope everyone wins. But this is so hard to win in this league. Getting more difficult because of the rules. Um, The way the game has changed. uh, The way it's officiated. Um, It is just a a cycle sometimes that we go through, um, but I, I just, I love people, I really do, mm-hmm. and I wish I were enormously wealthy because I would give it all away, every penny.
0: Well, I think that you should be writing a book called Life Lessons with J- by Jerry West, because <laughs> I think, like we said, what, your, what you took from basketball can be you can you can use that and transcend any any industry personally or and professionally and i think what i i got from this is that you are you're really good at like picking up on like emo you're very good with emotional intelligence picking up on nuance of how to deal with people and you're very empathetic and i think that's what probably from what i got this is my opinion that's probably what makes you so good in what you do
1: well again you know i say uh, the um, praise that you get, I had someone to send me a seal with its ball with a ball on its nose, okay? And uh, I had really been getting a lot of criticism for a couple of things. One trade in particular, um, that people were, fans were upset, um, writers, and they felt like it was, I had a vindictive mode toward this person. Uh, I coached him and had great respect for him, but anyway, to make a long story short, this person sent me this seal, this seal with a ball on snow. I still have it on my bathroom counter. You too? They, they said, life is about balance. And I started thinking, life is about balance. And I said to myself, oh my gosh, all the incredible things that have been said about me, some way too praiseworthy. Um, And now I'm getting this
0: uncomfortable Mm
1: -hmm. um, version that really was, I felt bad about trading that person. We traded him. I didn't trade him. We traded him. And um, that's when I realized, I said, oh my gosh, you know, life is really about balance. If people say great things about you all the time, it's not reality. Right, right. It's not, and particularly people in the press, or people who have a social venue, um, it's not. It's right. not always true.
0: Well, people always. Th- what happens then? People tend to believe their own hype, right? Because the more people <coughs> praise you, you get an un, you you get like an unrealistic sense of self, right? That's what happens. So sure. do you not. So you, do not believe not. Not that you not believe the hype, but you try to stay grounded. Is there something that you do even as a ritual to kind of keep you stay humble and grounded? Besides the seal that you look at every day, or I guess that could be what it is. It reminds you every day to stay balanced.
1: Well, I remind me every every day. I'm just like everyone else. Yeah. Okay. I had a had a life that was a fairy tale life in terms of my basketball life. Uh, as I say, those days are coming to an end. And um, I will look back and say, "Thank God, I've met some incredible people in my life." And I will also look back and I will say, "There's some people in my life that I was deceived by." And, um, but on balance, everything has been like, "Oh my gosh, how did someone come from a place of 500?" and I've met the people in my life, have experienced the things that I have in my life. There's very few that can say that. And no one gave me anything along the way. I earned everything that that I've received in my life.
0: Right. Hard work. Hard work got you where you hard are. Hard
1: work and the skill.
0: And Yeah. And the combina- a combination of both, well, right? You,
1: if you have skill and you don't have hard work, you're not going to do anything. Okay?
0: Right. Exactly. You're going to
1: tease everybody.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so I guess, basically, I, I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. So, um, so what is that one, what is, to describe you, give me your, st- your strongest trait and your weakest trait, and then you're free. You're a free agent.
1: <laughs> My weakest tra- uh, trait, um, self-worth. Self-worth never felt I was worthy of anything. And again, I attribute that to how I grew up. Um, uh, my strongest trait is that um, I love to give and I really like people a lot. Mm-hmm. There would be a two, two answers to that.
0: Two answers. Well, I'll say uh, I really like you a lot. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast. It was uh, an honor. I know you don't want to be praised. You get get uncomfortable. So I'll say, I really liked having you. You're a really cool guy, and maybe, you know, we can do this again sometime, if if it works out.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. Jerry West, guys, you can find him basically anywhere online. I don't think you have Instagram and Facebook, do you? No. No, I didn't think so. That's not me. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't think so. Thank you very much, Jerry West. Thank you so much.